0: Welcome to Work From Your Happy Place, the podcast that equips you with the tools, know-how, and motivation to live your dreams and find your happy place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a recap of the week's guests and a preview of what's in store. To sign up, simply text the word Happy Place with no space to 33444. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce the host of Work From Your Happy Place, Belinda Ellsworth.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work From Your Happy Place. It's Belinda here, your host, and I am so excited about our show today. I have actor and musician DC Glenn with me from the tag team. You might know him from Whoop, There It Is. Spanning the spectrum from TV and radio ad programs, films, and sporting events, tag team's music has risen to be the defining 90s hip-hop melodic voice. The big hit WOMP remains highly relevant and those ranging in age from 8 to 108 continue to groove and boogie down to the exceptional tune. With 90s hip-hop more recognizable than ever, venues all over the world are energized to watch tag team live and in action. Social media has also supplied a new avenue for converting music enthusiasts into WOMP fans. DC Glenn and Steve thrive on hooking up with brand new fans who have discovered them via viral Facebook posts and appreciate seeing their blissful faces when they listen to the song performed live. Recently featured in the fun auto insurance commercial for GEICO, the 90s classic real school hip-hop duo tag team is back on top. It's my pleasure to welcome DC Glenn to our show today.
0: Hey, how's everybody doing?
1: Well, we're all doing great. Thanks so much for being here.
0: Hey, happy to be here. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, so let's just, let's fill in some of the gaps of this bio and tell us a little bit more about your journey for anyone that might not know who you are. And let me talk about the early days of when the song first became a hit, and then we're going to chat a little bit about sort of this resurgence you guys are having.
0: Oh my gosh, that bio kills me.
1: (laughs) I'm just like, that
0: is not what it is. Oh, my gosh. No. Okay, so for me, right? Yep. The word resurgence, back on top, back in the limelight, all those terms just make me want to throw up because that's not even hardly the case. Okay. This is is a narrative and a story of perseverance, steadfastness, right? Turning Mm -hmm. lemons into lemonade and never quitting, never giving up and always playing offense. Right.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and I understand how people can think that, you know, we had a hit record back in the day and then we were just laying around and then Geico came. Right. But that's hardly the case. And so much more than that. And I've done so many things in my life and I've always been hustling. Right. Yeah. And you know, I've learned tactics and I've learned lessons and I've come up with ways to just always be successful. And, you know, even if you're not, you know, if you, you, got, you had a hit record and don't have a hit record, I'm still working. I'm still performing. I'm still finding new avenues, still reinventing myself, still trying to reach that pinnacle that I want to reach. Right. And is it, You know the reason I'm not I'm like that is because I've never been a star, never wanted to be a star. Don't like fame, but I do love the journey, and I do love working on the craft. Right, and that's what life is full of, and that's you know that's kind of how it started Um, back in the day when I had a great childhood. My parents raised me well. Uh, They worked me like a dog, and I'm forever (laughs) grateful for it because I don't fear work. Right. Yep. And I had a paper route. I'm your typical, you know, hardworking kid, had a paper route then figured out in a blizzard when I was a young kid that I can make money off of shoveling other people's snow (laughs) in the neighborhood. And I've been a hustler ever since. And me and Steve met in high school. And Steve had a band and they played in the quad and I wanted to be in that band. And then I got in the choir and then I saw... My first DJs when I was in high school at our first party, and it was some of Steve's friends, and I wanted to be a DJ. And all those things I nurtured along the way, went to college at Sac State University, and pretty much DJed every uh, fraternity party out there, and just got better at my craft, got better at making songs, and just never quit. And while all my friends laughed at me and didn't understand why I was trying to choose this path. And it seemed real far-fetched to people that I chose music and wanted to be a rapper and wanted to be a rap star and a rock star. But that's what I wanted. And, you know, I moved to Atlanta because Steve was down here for uh, going to the Art Institute. And started DJing in the clubs because I was a good DJ. And I didn't realize how good I was till I moved here. And since day one, I've been making tons of money. DJing and that career lasted me thirty years. And um, you know, that's where, you know, Womb There It Is was born because I used to play we used to play make songs and we used to play our own records in the in the club. Can't get better than that. Right. And um, you know, we switched regions. So, you know, me being going to school in California, being from Denver, you know, we were exposed to hip hop at an early age back in the eighties at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And back then it was just New York and Los Angeles, and when I moved down south, they had a form of music called bass, and I, you know, I heard it before, but it was like that's what it was down there, and I knew that we were never going to get out of the southeast unless we did a bass record, and you know, I went to Steve, I said we got to do something up tempo, man, because we're gonna never get out of here doing hip hop because we don't live in New York, and. It's like, we got to make a bass record. Steve was like, I really can't make that type of stuff. And I was like, Yes, you can. Just keep it hip hop. And what people don't realize is that the essence of hip hop started back with Plant Rock, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. so, like, for us, so all those up tempo records. So, I just like stay in the pl- lane of Plant Rock. You know, I was writing, you know, working on a song called woop I had a bunch of songs I was working on, but won't fit what Steve made perfectly and people think it was this big manhattan project rocket science you know project and it was just a song about people just partying on a friday night and we made the record and instantly people liked it and you know my hubris was out of control back then i thought hey I, every time i make a record this is going to be a hit record right so yeah, i did not play it for a while this was in the summer of 92 and then I started playing again in the fall, meaning in the winter. And a record company rep was in the house, you know, of the club I was working at. And he was like, man, give me that record. What is that record? And I was like, that's my record, man. And he was a friend of mine. He worked for Columbia Records, Alan Cole. And he's like, man, if you don't give me that record so I can send it to New York, send it to New York. And I was like, ooh, this could work for all the labels. And then now i got all the labels talking to me, but they don't know what to do with bass music because that's what they perceive it as. Mm-hmm. So they're giving me the runaround, and I almost gave up. And then I uh, was introduced to this gentleman named Al Bell and Al Bell is one of the original three, you know, one of the owners of the original three uh, soul record companies. You had Philly International, you had uh, Motown and you had Stax Records. Mm-hmm. He owned Stax Records and he had put out a record book the year before Daisy Dukes by Deuce. And I called him. It took him about a week and a half to call me back and. He um, called me back and said, Mr. Glenn, how you doing? I'm like, who is this? It's like, Mr. Bell. And I was like, oh, okay. Let me tell you something, man. I got a hit record. It's been tested. It's the bomb. You need to sign us. He was like, okay. It's like, wait a minute, dude. You haven't even heard the record. And the words he told me I'll never forget. He said, brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit because I'm a passionate type dude, right? So um, he said, let's agree to agree. And I gave my two weeks at Magic City. That was the club I was working at. Signed a messed up record deal. In a month and a half, we were platinum and the rest is history.
1: Wow. There's so many really good nuggets in there that I just would love to bring out. First, Mm -hmm. a, a fun little tip I'd love to share with you. I interview a lot of people on here and the entrepreneurs and artists. It's like one thing that successful people have in common and it's the funniest thing but that they've all had paper routes <laughs> I, had <a> paper route. <laughs> That's hilarious. I know at first i just you know i had a paper route when i was a girl and as a young girl i had to fight for it because mm-hmm. they didn't let girls be paper girls yeah I had to I get petitions signed from my neighbors and all this stuff. And so now that I'm doing the show, though, they're like, "Yeah, one of my first things I was hustling. I was doing a paper route." And I'm like, "That's so funny." And when you yeah, said Yeah, I have See, four blocks.
0: Wait. I have four blocks. I get up at five every morning, fold my papers, and take my little buggy, my little uh, King Supers cart, <laughs> go up and down, and come back, and go to school.
1: That's right. That's but right. I was, making,
0: I was making money before then, but because my parents, you know, made us work gave us chores and they had, you know, they had a reward consequence system. You know, it's like, we'll give you allowance, but if you don't clean up, if you don't do what we tell you to do, you know, we're going to hurt you in other ways. And, you know, if I didn't go to church, I couldn't play football with my friends on Sunday. So Mm -hmm. I went to church, you know, if I didn't clean up my room or if I didn't cut the hedges or cut the lawn, then I couldn't watch TV that night. Like just things that really punch you in the stomach. Right. As a kid. And I never, I have never feared work. I've always had a job. Never, you know, in my teens, I worked um, at an ice cream shop. I worked um, for uh, the university. I I used to uh, push around AV equipment, you know, televisions and projectors and whatnot. And then I started working in restaurants in high school. I worked at Mile High Stadium in Denver selling Pepsi and beer and hot dogs and got to watch the Bronco games for free and then went to college and was working in DJing in the clubs there, so I've always worked, I've always hustled, and I've always had five, six hustles in the hole. Yeah, because you can't just have one hustle. You have to be, you have to be really amidextrous when it comes to hustling. And a lot of people say they hustle, but hustling is a, is is a, is an art form because people are always going to discourage you from doing, you know, from from doing that. Like you're doing too much. Yep. You need to to concentrate on one thing. This, you know, it just was like, "Mm, no, I don't. (laughs) Right, because I'm making money. And, you know, for me, you know, like I said, we had a good run. And maybe four years after Wunk, the record company went bankrupt. And another record company bought it and took the publishing when they shouldn't. And then that's when a big battle ensued. And I had tried, you know, we have been getting money, but we weren't getting what we were supposed to. So I, you know, tried to, Remedy these things legally and mm-hmm. realized that record companies got long money and I got short money. Right. Yep. And, you know, that was a hard pill to swallow. So I had to go back to work and I knew I could have, I could have took the tact of, okay. You know, my career is over. I could have looked at the glass half empty instead of half full, but I looked at the glass half full and I, I basically became a paralegal. I said, I know I'm going to have my day in court. Make sure you organize all this. Make sure you get all this discovery. Make sure you stay up on top of this case. Make sure you you know have every single document because you will have your day in court. But in the meantime, you're making a bunch of money DJing. You're still doing shows. You're still DC the Brain Supreme of tag team. Let's hustle. And you know I I started I, you know just correcting things right. I got to this big self help deal right and. Mm-hmm. Robert T. Kiyosaki and you know uh, Anthony Robbins and just everybody, just book after book, audio book after audio book, and you know, I vowed that I would never make some of the mistakes that I had made, and one was finance, so I became a licensed commodity broker, right? And you know, I wanted to have a hedge fund, and you know, I just I I went for it, and as I'm doing these things, I'm developing tactics. That helped me get through obstacles. Right. Mm -hmm. And the main one, you know, one was, um, you know, with the whenever I go for a certification or anything. Right. Usually can take the test three times. So the first time, first thing I do is just go take the test and, and fail it just so I can see what's on the test. I'll study, you know what I mean? But I'll fail the test just so I can see what's on the test. Then I know what's on the test. Now I know how to study for it. Right. Yeah. These tactics yep. are learn called learn how to learn. Right. That's how I see it. Because if I'm paying for it, then I can do what I want to do. And um, second time I failed it, but only by a little bit. Third time I passed, and I'm a licensed commodities broker. I'm like, I want to open a hedge fund. So I was like, I don't know that about a, I I don't know nothing about a hedge fund. How can I learn about a hedge fund? So I start calling hedge fund managers, and I start telling them. who Now that's when I use my fame and tell them who I am. And now I got meetings in New York, L.A., San Francisco, and Vegas with hedge fund managers, not knowing what a hedge fund is. So I fly to L.A. <laughs> not L.A., I fly to Vegas. I fly to Vegas and I'm in a boardroom with these people. And I'm like, why should I let you guys run my hedge fund? Because I know everybody. I know all the athletes. I know I knew all the athletes and everybody before. Boom, there it is. So I've got money that can be controlled. I can get investors. So why should I let you run my hedge fund? And then they just went into their whole spiel and they just start telling me, it's like, we do this and we do that. And this company does that. And our returns are like this and this is that. And I'm like, just soaking it all in. And what they don't realize is while they're pitching me, they're teaching me. Right. Yep. Yep. And by the time I finished all those meetings, I knew exactly what a hedge fund was, and I realized it wasn't for me, right? And mm-hmm. um, it just it it opened my eyes to a a whole nother form of hustling, that just tactics after tactics after tactics to get where you need to be and do things the non traditional way. And you know, I didn't become a you know licensed commodities broker. I mean, uh. Uh, hedge fund you know, manager, but to year 2000, I would listen to CNBC, didn't understand what they were saying. 2002, I knew everything that they were saying. So I call that collateral sprinkles. You know, I drop a bottle, you have collateral damage. Well, if you just work hard and even if you don't succeed or it goes a different way, there's still good things that come of that. And that's the collateral sprinkles is that I got a financial education and I vowed that I'd never be taken advantage of financially again. And that catapulted me into, you know, while I'm doing all the whole self-help thing, run your life like a corporation, right? So I said, okay, you might, I mean, run your life. If you want to be a business, you got to run your life like a corporation. So I started CLG Investment Sync in 2001, and I still have that company to this day. Right. Because I run my life like a corporation. I learned how to bookkeep. I learned how to do all the things that you need to run a business. And I did it for me. And I've I've flourished, you know, and there was this one book. I can't remember it, but it's about a guy who, you know, started working at a pie shop because he wanted to own a pie shop. And he started as a busboy He started learning how to make the pies. And then he would take in the orders. He learned everything about that pie store. Then he opened his own pie store. Then he franchised it. Then he sold it for $20 million. Right. And he called his method of doing that, getting in the corridor. So this is around 2003, 2004. I'm in the clubs and I'm like, how can I get in the corridor being in the clubs? And this is very important to people because I've always been hustling, but it's more than that. It's, I'm not just a DJ, right? I'm your sound guy. I'm your light tech. I'm your marketing manager because I put together a business plan for my owner and did a PowerPoint presentation and told her how I could increase her bottom line. And I thought a business plan was just a little synopsis of what you want to do and it's so much more than that. It's, it was funny because that's what I thought it was and it was so hard back then. But I had a good coach because uh the guy who fixed, you know, taught me how to do credit, uh Jim Woods American Business Development, he taught me how to put together a business plan and we painstakingly went through it bit by bit. It took me 6 months. But when I gave that presentation, everybody's jaw was on the floor and she cut me a check for $25,000 and said get started. So I tell you these stories because, like I said, I'm not just a DJ. I'm I'm your art guy. I'm your radio announcer. I'm your uh, I do your radio ads. I do your television ads. I do your flyers. I do your fashion photography. I do your retouching. I do your websites. I do your SEO. I do everything because you have to make yourself invaluable. Everybody who's complaining about these jobs that they're in a dead end job. You can get out of that job by making yourself invaluable then where they won't let you go because you're learning things that you're using that are for you, not for the company. But it requires effort, you know, that some people might not be willing to, you know, give for some another company. I was willing to give it because I knew it was going to serve me later. Right. And they're they're all, you know, everybody's telling me, you know, they, they tell me this today you know, D.C., you're all over the place. You're all over the place. You got tentacles everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. It's like, D.C., you know you know the old saying, jack of all trades, master of none. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. I don't listen to that because you live long enough, you hustle hard enough, and you keep learning. All those hustles become one, and they serve you. And now some of those trades, right?
1: You become mm-hmm.
0: masterful at. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And they yeah. all, and, and they all serve you. And you know, you always hear people talking about you got to have tools for your tool belt. Yeah, you got to you got a tool belt. I don't have a tool belt. I don't have a tool box. I have a tool shed. Right? Basically, I got a Home Depot of a, a, a lifetime of Home Depot supplies, but not Home Depot. Let's say Ace Hardware. Not that big. (laughs) Let's go Ace Hardware, right? I I, I have an Ace Hardware tool shed where you walk in and be like, what is that for? What's that? Like, these are all my tools. These are all my tools for success, right? And that's what you have to You have to always play offense, right? Always play offense. Never worry about the problems. Never worry about any of those things but we do and it took a lot of years for me to figure that out and you know around this time i you know knew because i've always you just wondered man when is it gonna just die when is woop there it is gonna be over right because one year is big one year is kind of eh. but the next year is big again we're doing a commercial or it's in a movie or it's this within the next year but when I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm watching Will Ferrell dance on a table to Elf, and Elf to my song, I now know that won't um, There It Is" is evergreen.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Right, but I, I can't. I, I can never think that because I'm humble and I know better. Right. right, but it is now evergreen, and it is my responsibility to make my own money because. I don't, I can't, I'm never going to depend on anybody to do anything for me. So I've just always been like that. So it's my responsibility to get this money. So let's get started. And while I'm in the corridor and I'm working at the club, I'm learning all these things and I want to get better. So I start voiceover and I start training for voiceover. And it was the most brutal thing I ever slapped me in the face because, you know, I'm, I think you know I can do anything because shoot I'm DC the brand supreme tag team I can whoop there it is my way through anything, but not voiceover. I was sorely disappointed because it was hard. It mm-hmm. was harder than anything I've ever had to do. But I didn't quit. It just I just I just let it be hard and I just worked at it over the years, years and years. You know and um, you know 2010, both of those record companies went to court. And they finally got their day in court because they had put together so many motions. One company was trying to just evade the other company, and they just kept doing motion after motion after motion. For those who don't know what a motion is, you, you yeah. put in a motion to go to court to have a trial, but you need a circuit court to you know let you have that. They got to be able to take the case. They got to see the case is worthy or if the case has standing. So mm-hmm. they went through several of those, right? And they finally got their day in court. And they prevailed. And that started a series of uh, appeals by the record company that lost. And meanwhile, I'm uh, DJing at the club and I get a call at the front door and they're like, DC, you got to come to the front door. There's this woman on the phone and she says she has got to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what which one of these girls I don't uh. Wait a minute. Okay, let me go see. (laughs) Right. And I am, I'm talking to this lady. I'm like, look, I am at work. You got to call me in the morning. So she calls me in the morning and I'm like, she's like, DC, have you seen the Gawker article? And I'm like, Gawker? She's like, yes. Everybody thinks Barack Obama was in the womb. There it is video. I was like, oh my gosh. Is that what she was calling me for? She was like, DC, it's big. And then all of a sudden my phone just blew up and it was every reporter from every agency trying to have an interview. We did press that whole week. CNN, Jeannie most. We did uh, Steve. We was on the Stephen Colbert show. We did so much press that week. And I was like, how did you find me? She was like, it was very hard, my friend, but I found you. And after that week, I was so depressed and disappointed because that was an opportunity. And, the fact that people couldn't find me to give me money because they like woop there it is, that was a problem, and I could have I could have made good I could have made a real turn for the better in that week if I had a web presence if we had if I had just been thinking about it right just had mm-hmm. something simple out there you know that's that was be kind of the beginning of social media you're doing a social media but everybody doesn't know social media yet right so. That's when I started my SEO website career. I said, "I'm going to learn this. I don't care how hard it is." And I said, "Let me do it for the club." Once again, I'm in the corridor. Let me build the club's web- website. Let me go to the owner, tell her this what we need, and I learned how to do that while I was at the club and got good at it. And you know, 2011, you type in tag team, it was all wrestling. And then um uh, 2021 you type in tag team it is all tag team right yeah i am very good at that and that is a form of marketing if you can master that you will always be able to make money because you know how to get in front of people and you can you can basically just find out where the supply where the demand is and provide the supply right and that's what i've been doing and i've been just working my butt off um 2015, the final appeal for the trial, yep. went to the Supreme Court. That was their last chance. Can you imagine? If, you know, tonight on NBC News, the Supreme Court takes on the tag team. Whoop! There is trial. I would have been like, "Oh my God!" But they they denied it, and it was over. And then it was like a scorched scorched earth policy, and I had to get lawyers because people were wanting to come after me. And because I didn't give up, because I didn't look at the glass half empty, I looked at it half full. I basically became a paralegal. They had all this discovery, nice, neat. Found me a good lawyer, and gave all, gave a whole box of all those twenty years of discovery and cases and things that both of those guys have been through and what we've been through, and I saved myself half the money I would have had to pay in legal fees and. They had three or four different scenarios that we could win and we prevailed. Oh, that's great. After 20 years. Now I was at a cost, like any war, you might lose an arm, you're going to lose a leg, might have an eye patch, but I was was free, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Because
0: I could have made records back then, but I wasn't going to make a record and then get stopped because somebody wanted to be greedy it was it was there were things issues that weren't resolved so it just would have been a big another big legal mess it just would have been and it, that would have really upset me so you know after that I kind of got depressed it's almost like catching the car what do I do now you know dog catching the car what, what, what do you do with it now and it's like I laid in the bed the whole month of August. Uh, 2017, just like, what are you going to do? 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 And all of a sudden I get a call. I said, DC, we love your voice. We got a gig for you. It pays $10,000. And I knew what I was going to do. And because I didn't give up on voiceover, because it was a trade that they say I'm a jack of all trades for, and I got some type of mastery over, I was able to use that to kickstart a series of incidents in my life that have been the most lucrative in my life, right? And now I'm a voiceover artist, and you know I had booked some things earlier. I was working for Apple Radio. I was making I was making knickknack money doing it, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know. I was always also trying to get us shows. I was like, I want to go on tour again. Because we're all we always do five or six shows a year, NBA halftime shows, uh special engagement, stuff like that. And then, you know, we still get a royalty check. So we okay, but you know, I wanted I wanted to go out on the road again. And every promoter was like, Well, you only got woop there is, and it's been a long time ago, and we don't know if we could put you on the roster. And I was like, you know what? Y'all kill me. They gave me every reason why they couldn't instead of just one reason why they should. Right? So yeah. whenever that happens to me and I get stuck, here's another, you know, learn how to learn tactic. Whenever that happens to me, especially now, I join an organization, society, or association because they are filled with professionals who love their profession and who have been doing it for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they are masterful at their thing. And if you get into that organization, you have real world people in real world situations that can teach you the game instantly. And I joined an organization called the International Entertainment Buyers Association, because in concerts, you have a hierarchy. You have your concert you know, you have your buyers right your, your top of the food chain buyers they want to do a concert then you got the uh, the um you have the venues you have your stadiums you have your arenas you have your amphitheaters then you have your big boy promoters which is live nation iHeartRadio. then you have your mom and pops you know promoters the ones that were telling me we've well, only you only got one song what have you done for me lately then you have your managers then you have me and I went to their convention, 5,000 buyers in this convention from every walk of life. And me and Chubby Checker, the only black dudes in there. And I go in there with a big whoop, there it is, t-shirt, just big and just brash and just billboardy. And I just start handing out business cards and networking. And I, I had my pitch together. My name is DC Glenn. You might remember the song, whoop, there it is, we're a clean nostalgic 90s rap show and the fact that i said clean they all were at ease because they're buyers and they don't like rap because rap the insurance is way too high but the thing that all the other promoters thought was my weakness in that crowd was my strength because they were like he's clean and they only got one song we can put them in this slot and then boom we can fill out this show we can put them in this slot i had a lady that w- i had a lady that wanted to give us 30 shows for the ice capes intermission right yeah but the money wasn't right to be exclusive she wanted exclusivity and the money wasn't right so i wasn't going to do that but next thing you know now i'm doing shows you know, we're doing rodeos, we're doing casinos, we're doing corporate gigs, we're doing fundraisers, we're doing state fairs, we're doing all these different types of of entertainment that I hadn't even thought of. I'm just thinking clubs, maybe you know, a couple of theaters. We're doing it, we're doing everything, and then all of a sudden, one of the promoters who believed in us, he got us on a tour, and we went from five shows a year to thirty, right? Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm doing voiceover and I'm training. And my eight, my uh, t- my uh, coach calls me and says, hey, we need you to get over. I need you to get over to the people store because they called looking for African-American talent. And I told them I had the perfect person. And I go over there and they put me on instantly. And after maybe a couple of weeks, I booked my first voiceover with them. And I'm up there having a meeting. And I'm, you know, just being proactive. I'm hustling, and they see that. Then the owner comes in, and she's like, "I love your face. Put him on camera." And I'm like, "What?" Now, <laughs> now, not only am I a voice artist, now I'm an actor. I'm like, well, "What I got to do?" Is like, "Well, you got to take headshots, and you got to start going to class. And then we gonna start sending you on auditions." And Instantly, I started getting auditions. I took my first couple classes, and I was hooked. And I did. I was in class every day from 2017, and sometimes two, three times a day. Every intensive that workshops that you know, teachers from out of town will come in from LA and New York. Uh, all these casting directors in Atlanta will come, you know, and I was at everything until the pandemic. And right before the month before the pandemic. I had booked because I was booking regional stuff, local stuff, non union stuff, and yep. it pays well. But I I was I was booking, so I passed each tier. This is within two years now. Most people could go ten years and not even get one role, right? As let alone I'm two years in, I've got five things I've already done. So now I booked my first national Pizza Hut commercial and it was glorious. But then the pandemic hit, and it was gone. But I wasn't—I wasn't upset because I all my hard work paid off, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The hard, all these seeds that I laid worked, right? All—all the, all the tactics and all the different things that I tried, all the offense, all these things that I've been preaching and learning, all these things that turned, all these hustles that turned into one served me in a way. That I was just so satisfied, but I wasn't. And then the pandemic st- happened, and then to be honest, the pandemic is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You know, on one side, on the other side, it was horrific yeah. because you know I've lost people, and my mother had it, and my father had passed away just before. So I was so happy that that happened because he, he you know, his his passing was the most was the perfect. This is, this is going to be real weird to hear me say this, but my father had the perfect death. My father was old. He had ailments and he had went blind. once he went blind, you know, he, he just couldn't take it. And he had outlived all his friends. He lived a wonderful life. He helped thousands of people. He was an educator. He was the man. And the man... We were trying to just, we were trying to fighting with him just to keep him alive. and But he had lost, he, he was ready to go. And we were having a meeting and, you know, the doctors were like, well, Dr. Glenn, do you want me, you going to say something? He's like, doc, I only got one problem. My sons won't let me die. I was like, all right, you want to play like that? Okay. And they were like, well, you might want to take him to hospice, you know? And I'm like, nah, we're not taking him to hospice. We bring him back home and we going to party until he go. And then we got him back home. Then he got better. Right? And I said, I I knew this was a trick. (laughs) Right? But then after about three or four days, you know, the writing was on the wall. And it was beautiful because there was nothing left unsaid, nothing left undone, no regrets. And the man passed away in his own home, in his own bed, on his 82nd birthday. I could not ask for anything more, anything better. Because how how... Who does that? How does that happen? That you pass, that you're born on a day, and you pass on the same day you were born.
1: Wow. Yep.
0: And ever since, you know, we had a great, great home going. The funeral was beautiful. And then, boom, COVID hit. And we were back to square one. What are you going to do? Can't do shows. Can't do this. Can't do that. And I said, I could do voiceover. Because everything was, we're all in this together. COVID, right? Every every commercial yep. was like that, right? We'll yep. get through this. Every and I was perfect for that, and I reinvented myself and I went back to the beginning where I started voiceover because I record everything that I do. I record every class that I pay for, everything because you can't remember all that. You can't you just can't remember it, and you can't right. take no You can't take notes fast enough, but. That's a learn how to learn tactic, too, because now I could take that all those old, you know, recordings, dump them in the A.I. Now they make transcripts for me. Now I got it on paper. Right. I, I can do so many things to learn how to learn it to where I don't have to read it, but I can have it read to me. Right. All kind of different little tactics that help me retain information. And when I went back and listened to my first class, it was gut wrenching because I had to listen to my 10 year ago self talk. I had to listen to myself talk and have conversations in 2009, and it was just like, "Oh my God, you were so stupid. You were so this. You was. It was just. It was just. It it just hurt me." And what I realized is that I used to. I was blaming my coaches, like they didn't know how to coach, or why am I not getting this? And the thing that was stopping me was me, right?
1: Yeah, it's totally that's
0: how it is. And that was <laughs> part of it. But then the other part was, I didn't know the language, right? Yeah. But as I'm listening, it's also inspirational because I listened to my first voiceover script that I read and it was cringeworthy. But then it was inspirational because I was like, wait a minute, I understand what they're trying to tell me and how to do this voiceover. Let me do it over again. And I did it over again. And it was angelic because for the first time in my life, I had mastery over my voice. And it was just so incredible. And in the month of March, 2020, where everybody thought we were going to turn into zombies and start eating each other, I reinvented myself and I went through 42 hour sessions, taking notes, retaining the information, and I started booking instantly. And in the month of April, I get a call from my L.A. acting coach, and she says, I've got a movie for you. I'm casting this movie, and I want you in it. Now I'm in Nebraska in a cornfield shooting my first movie in the middle of a pandemic, right? And two months later, I get a call from a producer. D.C., we really like what you're doing. We want you to come down to Georgia, in South Georgia, so we got a part for you, Detective Thompson, in this new movie. All right, I'll be there. I got my hazmat suit. I'm coming in the middle of a pandemic. Shot my second movie. Then I booked a campaign for Publix for uh, voiceover. And then I booked a Tyler Perry House of Pain episode. And then here comes Geico.
1: Hmm.
0: All in 2020. Wow. The culmination of everything I had been through comes to a head because I am who I am. I didn't give up. I played offense. I didn't, you know, I, I just didn't quit. And the thing that kills me is that people look at things when, you know, just everybody. That's why people are so easy to fall for. Not fall for, but that's why people are so eager to want to believe and want to hope in the whole entrepreneurial spirit and think that they can do it because they think, you know, they, they think that it's a quit pro quo. If I do this, this is gonna happen, right? And and it's like, what are you thinking? You don't plant a seed in the soil, sit down in front of the seed, like, okay, seed, I need you to work for me. Let's go on to grow. Come on, seed, I need you to grow right now, instantly. Come on, seed, and it doesn't grow. Wait a minute, the seed don't work. I quit. How many people do we know that think like that? A lot. If I take this class, then I'm gonna know how to. I should know how to do this. Well, I well, I hey. I'm not taking this class no more. It didn't work. It's not for me. You've heard that too, no? It's 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 not for me, right? They didn't know what they were doing, right? And you know, I I, I cringe. I, I people that do that, just you know, it does. It used to burn me up, but now I'm, I I'm grateful because I've laid so many seeds in my life that man, I'm standing in a forest of opportunity. And just redwood trees are all around me. I'm like, whoa, I forgot about that, that seed. I forgot about that seed. That one yeah. too, right? And, you know, all right. these, it's funny because everything goes back to not quitting. Like the, 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 the story with the voiceover went back to the beginning and got it. Same thing with, the, with Geico. Geico calls my agent, my agent calls me and says, hey, you you booked a Geico commercial. I'm like, no, I didn't. Don't play with me. Why are you playing my emotions in this pandemic? They're like, no, <laughs> they, 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 they booked you guys. They want, they want tag team. I was like, oh, tag team. And because I started SEO, got good at it, struggled. It was brutal. Went through it. Laid good breadcrumbs. Got the site going. SEO'd it perfectly. Geico calls the number on the website, which is my tag team phone. I don't answer, but they go to my IMDB, IMDB portal, look at all my credits on IMDB, and I have all my portals, you know, this is lesson to everybody, have all of your profiles filled out perfectly so people can find you. They called my agent, and my agent called me. And it was perfect because I didn't have to hire any lawyers. I didn't have to do anything but let my agent take care of it. My agent uh, made the deal. My agency, the People Store Agency in Atlanta, Georgia, they made the deal, and it is the most lucrative deal I have ever done in my existence.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
0: You see that it full circle. Is, <laughs> I, do see a full,
1: I see the full circle. I don't know if everybody else here listening is is caught on that, but key points definitely is, you know, you got to put yourself in enough places. And 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 you've said it so eloquently many different ways: planting seeds, hustling, however you want to say it. But it's it's not it's not a one and done. I mean, you've no. got to put yourself out there. And the other thing is, you got to master your craft. You got to work hard, and people aren't always willing to do that. And um,
0: that's the beauty. I, I love it. It is,
1: and gosh, you're the commercial's awesome. And what's so funny is that, and whether you know, I know you've been working and hustling the whole time, but there is a whole new generation of people that are falling in love with that song that never even knew it existed, and so that's pretty awesome.
0: But you know what? Here's the thing. Most of those people did know the song existed, right? Because let me tell you the timeline. Nineteen ninety-five, we did a record, and here's how. This is how I actually started my voiceover career. I taught Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse how to rap, rap, because we did a record with Disney called Mickey Mickey Unwrapped. We did a kids' record, right?
1: Okay. Yep.
0: Kind of like a Jocks Jam, right? And. I, taught, we taught, I was with them in Disney and we recorded that record and they were telling me about animation and we had a good time and they were just beautiful people. And that sparked my interest in voiceover, but I didn't even know it at the time because I wasn't ready.
1: Right? right. But
0: that record, kids were growing up to that record for a whole 10 years.
1: Oh, for and then, sure.
0: Yeah. And then the next 10 years you have was a, a company called Kids Bop. Kids Bob takes all the hottest nine. You know, this is like two thousand four, two thousand five. They take all of the, the these hot you know songs of the day and songs of the nineties, and Womp, there it is, was the number one song. So now they're they make a video, they make an album, and they redid it for kids and preschoolers. They use it for preschoolers in all the schools, so that they can wear them out and they'll go nap time. But yeah. for the second kindergartners, first graders, and second graders, it's like, okay, this Friday we get to party. You know, if you guys were good, we're gonna do the kids bop. Guys are gonna learn the video. Womp, there it is. And till 2000, maybe 15, another company called Go Noodle, I think it was a subsidiary of them, did the same thing over again. So you got all these generations of children understanding what Womp there it is. That's why when you look, people would give me the story. This is the story. They're, they're like, I'm looking at my kid, and I'm looking at my son who's like 20, and I'm like, how you know about that song? And, and my son's looking at me like, how you know about that song? And it's like, man, I was in that era. It's like, yeah, we used to listen to that in school, right? So you've got families that kind of understand the song together, plus whatever way they, 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 they heard it. And then you've got the people who haven't heard it before. And You know, the reason that commercial, right, this is another thing about it, too. This is another part. You know, I could have just walked in there and just did the commercial and left like every other artist does. But I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. And I I prepared a whole month for that commercial. I said, I'm going into that commercial with five or six things that I can go to the director with. And I said, I think these might be viable to make the commercial a little bit better. And we had our production meeting and I was like, got a couple ideas, and he was like, whatever you want to do, DC, we're doing. I was like, cool. I said, I wanted to do a spinning scoop, but I couldn't find anybody to fabricate it. So, you know, we, we don't have to do that. He's like, no, it'll be done tomorrow. I was like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> now I'm happy. And then I'm like, I know kids love sprinkles, but I don't know why, but we got to have tons of sprinkles. We can have a sprinkle food fight. We can have LeBron James, old LeBron James at the scores table with the chalk sprinkles. We can have the salt-based sprinkles. We could do whatever we want to do, sprinkles, right? He's like, We'll have a we'll have so many sprinkles you wouldn't know what to do with a DC. Then I was like, We gotta have um you know, I want there's this dance that we do down south. Everybody knows it. So when people see us do it, they'll know that we represented the South. And that'll make people feel good too. And then we went to that day and we had energy the whole day. It was fun. The other actors did a great job because they were fans. And the mother, uh, Nikki Carr, who was Tasha, she used to be a hip hop dancer back in the day. So she knew all the dances.
1: Right. Oh, you see yeah. what I'm
0: saying? So It was like all it was like all these things came together. And it was because of preparation, because they prepared. We prepared. We had been preparing for this a minute. And we did it, and then everybody was like, I know you're happy you got a Geico commercial. And I was like, I was happy the first two days, but I knew I had work to do because when you do a Geico commercial, you're usually on tour forever. Salt Pepper did theirs 2014. They didn't stop till the pandemic. I knew we weren't going to be able to do that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get me a publicist. I'm going to take these lemons. I'm going to make a lemonade company. I'm going to franchise it, and I'm going to sell it for $20 billion. That's my mindset, right?
1: hmm.
0: And every publicist is telling me they can't work with me because they don't know how to do this. this. They've been working from home. This is a different a hard time. We don't really know how to do it. We usually do a junket in New York where you have a round robin and they haven't adapted. Right. And they, I guess they didn't want to spend my money either. And they're just used to doing it a certain way, but they never switched their paradigm. And I said, you know what? OK, thank you. But what happens whenever I hit a wall? when somebody tells me i can't do something i join an organization and i join the public relations society of america at the end of the year and two days in i'm on a zoom call with the ceo of this pr firm and we get to ask questions and i ask a question raise my hand ask a question are press releases still relevant because i do my due diligence i knew i was gonna do press releases i've done them before and I wanted to do my own press. I said, I'm going to be my own publicist. I ain't listening to nobody. And they were like, well, what's it for? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of featured in a Geico commercial called Scoop. There it is. And the chat just blew up. The Zoom chat was like, wait a minute. Is that? Is that? Oh, my God. It's him. I love that commercial. That's the greatest commercial ever. My kids love that. Co- Everybody was to me. in the comments were going crazy. And... The moderator's eyes got big. I'm watching all this. And I'm like, she's like, okay, like to welcome DC to the Georgia chapter of the PRSA. We're going to talk about that Geico commercial afterwards, DC. I'm like, cool. But back to DC's question, our press release is relevant. And the CEO lady was like, yes, DC, because the whole last year we've been in COVID. It's been doom and gloom. Every story has been about COVID everything everybody's fighting with each other everybody's mad everybody's just it's just been chaos and here you guys come bringing joy to the world throwing sprinkles spinning Mm. scoops and dancing and your smile dc your smile and it's like it's just bring joy to the world and not only our press release is relevant but you're gonna have this is this this could be big this is perfect time for it and You want to go to this site for all the publicists. You want to go to this site for all the TV talk show bookings. You want to go to this site for all the podcasts. You want to go to this site for all the journalists. You want to make sure your pitches are like this. You want to do this, 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 this. She gave me the entire game, the breadth of her knowledge, because I joined the organization because I didn't quit. And I've never looked back since then. And it has opened my life to things and possibilities I could not have ever imagined. And it is the reason you and I are sitting here talking right now.
1: Oh, I have loved this entire conversation. I hope that people truly will. It's been a very entertaining conversation, but if people will take the time to go back. Make some notes. I mean, joining organizations that are relevant to where you want to be. Get in the room with the people and find out the information that you want to find out. And that that's huge. That's one of the biggest pieces of advice that you've given here today. If people yeah, didn't it works. Want, it does work. And and, and I even I if it doesn't that.
0: even if it doesn't work, you find out within two weeks if that is for you. Right. right. Like you, you don't even have to join. All you got to do is just start calling every number that's on that website and asking the questions that you want about that, that, that profession. And I guarantee you, they're there to help you. They're there to say, Hey, yeah. you want to join this because we have this person, this person, and people, people give of their time when they get of a certain age. Cause that's what I do mm-hmm. right now. My whole career has turned into doing this four or five times a day. Because I realize the relevance of it. I realize that I learn more through talking. I figure things out through talking. I've come up with an, another hundred ideas because I do these podcasts and these interviews and all. Any chance I get to talk to people, I take it because I'm figuring things out myself. And I get to share what life has been like for me and what works for me can work for anybody because. You know, now we're, you know, there are a lot of things that have happened during the pandemic that have changed the world
1: yeah, and the sure. world.
0: And it comes, it now comes to you, right? Like, you know, what I have for me, right? I love being wrong because being wrong is the path to being right. And being wrong, say you're in an argument, you've been in an argument with a person before where. They tried they just want to win the argument. So they start going down a rabbit hole of just dumb stuff.
1: But you realize
0: it because you're an educated person. You understand, you know what? I'm gonna let them go down that rabbit hole because I'm I'm gonna, you know, I, I can't argue with this anymore. You win right now. That kills your ego, that kills your pride. You're dying inside, but every time you do that, it takes your ego and your pride out of it, and now you're on the path. And now you're coming up with solutions. I've switched my way of. I've always switched my way of thinking. I don't worry about the problems, right? Yeah. I only I come up with the solutions. I love when people complain to me because for every excuse you give me, I come up with five solutions and five tools to use for those solutions to put in my shed to use at another date. I've acquired the ability to take any negative emotion, pain, envy. Hate, despair, suffering, all that negative stuff, and use it. Put it in my pocket and use it later. Like, I got an audition later on tonight, and it caused for me to be a little angry. And I was having an argument with this one of my female friends last week about something stupid. And it really got me upset, but I didn't get mad mad. I just put it in my pocket. Now, I can use that for this audition. And now... I don't have to become a character or a caricature. The character becomes me. And now it's real. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can use that in life. You know what I'm saying? That's what keeps me not giving up. It keeps me not, you know, somebody says you can't do nothing. Okay. Thank you for that. You just, you've just helped me because the people that we, the people who are the most cynical about us are the people that love us the most. And they might not be hating on us because they're hating on us. They just don't know any better. But it still hurts, right? It still hurts, but you got to use it. Don't argue. Don't even put yourself in that because that's negativity. That negativity will keep you stuck in a hole. And I know that there are people that are never going to get out of that hole because they relish in that. I don't. I relish offense. I see everybody sitting around waiting for things to come back the way they used to be. And if you're sitting around waiting for things to come back the way they used to be, you will be sitting around waiting for things to come back the way they used to be. I am looking at a whole frontier of possibilities. We all beat ourselves up about missed opportunities, mistakes we've made in the past. You might just be driving and one day you just think of something you did in the past that was just so such a big mistake. And you just scream because it still bothers you to this day. But the pandemic taught me it's like, wait a minute. Those aren't mistakes, nor are they missed opportunities, because the opportunity that you thought you missed when you were in that studio with the voice of Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, you know, why didn't I start voiceover there? I missed that opportunity. You just signed last week one of the biggest voiceover agencies in the world. You corrected that.
1: Absolutely.
0: The mistake that you made with woop there it is. You corrected that. You could I I was in office in 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 the office with the president of New Line Cinema, and he was you know he was like we might want to cast you for this movie you know right now it's got we got LL Cool J and Wesley Snipes for the lead and uh, it's a movie called Blade. This is back in 90, 95. and I'm like yeah 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 whatever, <laughs> and I beat myself up all the time because of that. But what now? I'm an actor that has. Two has booked two national television commercials, two movies, two television shows, and I'm working on a third television show this Friday, and tons of voiceover. That mistake was corrected. Sometimes we're just not ready. So you can never give up. You can never beat yourself up about the past, and take the opportunities to take pe- to, to 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 turn people's problems to turn your problems. In the solutions, I tell people, what's, you know, they're telling me all their problems, like, well, what's the solution? Huh? I said, what's the solution? What do you mean? Oh my gosh. Uh, Right? And I'm like, this is what you do. You think of the most fantastical, the most far fetched, the most pie in the sky solution. Right? You got it? You got it in your head? Cool. Now, that might not happen. And it is far-fetched and it is out there, but it is possible. But now you start inching your way back to practicality. And now you're halfway there. You, you inch your way back to something that's doable. Oh, all I got to do is that. Oh, I can do that. Well, then work on it till you get there. Then go to the next step. But keep dreaming about that fantastical, far-fetched solution. Because it's real. I've lived it. That's Uh, what you have to do.
1: Well, thank you so Uh, much. Oh, man.
0: thank you. Thank you for letting me sit here and run my mouth.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's (laughs) it's been so much fun. And and my my daughter, before I got on here, she goes, are you going to tell him that you probably is singing that song to us at least, uh, seven times a week, <laughs> everything we do. And I've been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years. <laughs> she, yeah. Are you going to tell him that, that that's your main saying in our house all of the time? <laughs> I said, I promise I'll tell him before we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. No, nah, I mean, you know, and I, I, I love all that. You know, I, I, I know I've been blessed with the ability to Touch the world. I accept that now. And that's my responsibility. And also my responsibility is to talk to as many people as I can and tell them the things I wish somebody had told me when I was a young man. That's my responsibility. That's my mission. And I'm better for it day after day after day.
1: So well, thank you so much for mm-hmm. being with us today and being our guest and uh, appreciate it so much. And mm-hmm. to all of our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us on Work From Your Happy Place and share this with a friend. That's the best form of appreciation that we can receive. Oh, yeah. Thank One more thing. Again. Yeah. One more
0: thing. Sprinkles! Gotta do that. I gotta get that off my chest.
1: There you go. All right. Thank you.
0: Hey, you guys have a great evening. Thanks for joining us at Work From Your Happy Place. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. For a free gift on finding your own happy place, please visit workfromyourhappyplace.com and click on the free audio button.
1: Thanks again for listening.